and welcome to Seeing Red, a true crime podcast. I'm Mark. And I'm Bethan. Thank you for joining us once again, everybody. We're making our way through season 10 at the moment. We've got our mid-season break coming up. We certainly have. And uh, as you pointed out a minute ago, we've got Christmas coming up soon. I'm very excited. Super excited about. We both are. I've got all my all my decorations up now. Have you? I have, Even yeah. your tree? Uh, I've got one tree. I'm going to have two trees this year. Oh, someone's uh, doing well for himself. No, not at all. They're just cheap. Two trees. <laughs> two trees. I'm very um, jealous. I love two trees. And I wanted it all done before my birthday for the first time Brilliant. in my entire life. So that's the plan. I love that. Shall we say thank you to our newest Patreon supporters? Can I say their names this week? Because I think oh, you've done it for a couple then. of weeks, I feel like. So a massive thank you to all of our Patreon supporters, but most especially our newest. So a huge thank you to Cara Lee, Michael Munns, Becca Witchell, Jill, Bjorn, Chris Murphy, B, Crazy Cat. There's two Zs but two Crazy A's. Cat. Oh, crazy cat, crazy cat, and Colleen Hughes. Thank you very much. Thank you to each and every one of you, and of course, huge thanks to our existing Patreon supporters. If you would like to join these people, all you need to do is head over to Patreon.com/slash/SeeingRedPodcast. We are launching a Christmas competition very soon for our Patreon supporters, so there's never been a better time to sign up. And also, just so everybody knows, I'm in the very uh, well. Hopefully, by the time this episode is out. Uh, I know a few of you have been asking about Patreon Book Club. It is back and uh, you will have a post about it now. Yay, I've had my book and I'm very excited because you told me what it was going to be. Yeah, and also that kind of uh, segues nicely to today's episode, doesn't it? It does indeed. This week I'm going to be telling the story of an attempted murder case that I've always been fascinated with, I know Mark has always been fascinated with, and we discussed the case before seeing Red was even drubbed up discussed it a number of times and read the book in our first ever Patreon book club, the book written by this week's case, the victim of this week's case. Yeah, well, very much a survivor because I'm not averse to using the word victim. I know, you know I like that. That's like so to, true. To use that, but she is ultimately a, a warrior and a survivor. But I remember the book club. I remember reading the book, obviously, and then the discussions that we had afterwards with our patron supporters. And that, yeah, certainly my my opinion of uh, the survivor in this story. Uh, and lots of uh, patron supporters' opinion of the survivor in this story was that, yeah, she, she's, she is a warrior. She's amazing what she got through, but she wasn't, I'm just going to say it, I didn't find her very likeable. So I think it's um, going to be a really interesting episode. Yes, I remember that. It's a really interesting yeah. one because I found by the end of the book, she started to really um, kind of realise exactly what had happened to her. She was so honest all the way as well. And it's a really shining example of how somebody who is the victim of domestic abuse will not realize where they are at that moment and how actually there's so many things you can look out for to support somebody that you loved but I don't know I didn't dislike her and whereas a lot of people did find her really unlikable but I just felt really sorry for her but I was always really impressed of how she then came out the other side and you're so right the word survivor not the victim in this week's case but the survivor of this week's case. And I will be interested to see if my opinion of her has changed because 
We have been on a real journey, or I have in particular, around domestic abuse and the different forms that that can take and my understanding of that. And lots of our listeners have been in touch to help me under- really understand it because I've fortunately never been in that position and never really had anything to do with that. So, yeah, maybe maybe I will have a lot more. I mean, I always had sympathy for her, but I just found her just not particularly likeable. So we'll see how I feel at the end. So today we will be hearing about a woman who was betrayed in the worst way imaginable by her husband as he plotted to kill her for those classic reasons we see time and time again. Sex and affairs, debt and lies about money and just pure and simply a narcissist who thought he could get away with whatever he wanted no matter the cost and no matter who was hurt in the process. We are going to be talking about Victoria and Emile Cilias. Victoria had been working as a physiotherapist for the Ministry of Defence and she met Emile in late 2009. Cilias was at the time working as a physical training instructor in the Royal Army Physical Training Corps and she was a physio in the same gym so they would see each other reasonably often but they got to know each other a bit better when he had a skiing accident and she was his physio. Their romance developed over time with Victoria admiring Emile Cilia's ambition, his passion, and she was a little bit unsure about the fact that he'd been married before, but soon was won over and she transferred him to a colleague for his care and they began dating. From then on, the relationship developed fast with Cilia's quite intense and pushing for things to move on quickly. Victoria was swept up in the romance of it all with Cilia's telling her that he loved her within weeks. Her first marriage had not been so great. Her ex-husband had been unfaithful and theirs was what she described as a weekend marriage. So she was really grateful to have someone like Cilia's who wanted to spend as much time with her as he possibly could. She'd been really honest with him about the fact that she wanted children and he said he wanted kids with her. He cooked her meals. He made her feel special with little love notes that were left on post-it notes around the house. He sounds at this point ideal doesn't he He sounds like a great guy he's willing to commit and he's romantic he's promising her everything that she wants and naturally in that early stages of a relationship you don't really see the red flags you just kind of take everything at face value don't you a hundred percent and she'd had this not so great relationships in the past and a, a marriage that had failed so yeah when this guy came in and just said all the right things did all the right things was there um I think she'd bought a house that needed renovating and she'd been doing everything and he was then like well let me help you and she just kind of was like well my ex would have never done that like how wonderful that this man is willing to help out however like you said there were red flags from the beginning things that worried Victoria but she just kind of buried those worries Cilia's admitted to Victoria that he had an ex-wife called Carly with whom he had children. However, he told her they'd only been married out of a need for a visa, the fact that he wanted to be able to see his children. He told her they were only married on paper. But Cilia's had kept from her that he had actually had children from a previous relationship in South Africa. And it was Carly, the ex-wife, who actually revealed this to Victoria. Now, Victoria didn't know this at the time, but the way he'd behaved towards his ex, Nicolene Shepherd, would surely have given her cause to worry. Nicolene was just 16 when she gave birth to their daughter in 2000, and she was pregnant with their son six months later. Cilia's left her and the baby, and she was pregnant at this point, he left them in South Africa to go on a working holiday in England. He promised he'd come back and then they'd be parents together, but instead, whilst he was in England, he met and then married Carly and joined the army. 
He actually left it to his mum to break the news to Lickeline and then made no attempt to communicate with her or their children. That, honestly, I mean, what would she have been? Sort of 17, 18 at this point, maybe? I think 17 or something, yeah. She was very young still. like that. Yeah, so she's got a baby already. She's pregnant with another. Her partner has then left her to go halfway across the world. God, yeah, that's a lot for her to take. And then she's got his mum breaking the news to her. What an absolute coward. Yeah. Nicolene moved to the UK in March 2004, and while she initially had no intention of making contact with Cilias, she did do so in 2006, when their son, who was by now six years old, began asking questions about his dad. By this time, Cilias and Carly had two children of their own, but he told his ex that he'd only married Carly because his visa was running out and how he was in the middle of divorcing her. Similar stories to what he told Victoria when he told her about his other previous marriage. And it's kind of that that theme of putting down the ex and putting down that relationship and really like minimising it in his descriptions that is just, it consistently happens with him. Well, I was, was going to say the same. It is, he's minimising the previous relationships in order to make the current relationship more special. So, you know, that was just a relationship born out of practical necessity this is different, this is romance and this is real love, so you're special. Don't worry about the fact I've got an ex or even two exes, they weren't special, they're nothing like this. And with um, Nicolette, I'm sure he was either trying it on with her when they met or they did get together when she'd kind of tried to meet up with the children, but he was just really distant with the kids, didn't make much of an effort and then kind of left their lives again. I'm pretty sure that, you know, in their small, in their young kind of lives, they saw him like in a hotel room a couple of times and that was it. He didn't want to be a father to those first children. He did make more of an effort with Carly's children, but he just, it's all about him and what he wanted, not what actually would have been good for a child. Cilia's also had some debts that Victoria found out about, although he hadn't admitted to the full extent of those with her at the time, but she did find out that he had some debts. But with all this being said, he put on the front of being a family man. He even encouraged his ex Carly and his new girlfriend Victoria to spend time together so that he could see his children. They shared childcare. He gave off the impression of someone who had fallen madly in love with Victoria. He made a lot of effort. The pair went to South Africa to meet Celia's family and they could not have been more welcoming towards Victoria. Celia's mother told Victoria how her son hadn't been like how he was with her, with any other woman before, and when he proposed to her during their trip, she was just super excited to accept. One of the passions the couple shared was skydiving. Victoria had been in love with the adrenaline sport since she'd done a skydive following the death of her mum and she'd kept it up once she joined the army. It had got to the point where, in 2009, just months before she met Cilias, Victoria had qualified as a free-fall instructor. This wasn't just that she'd done a couple of skydives. I think in her lifetime she'd done over 2,500. It's major, isn't it, with her? Yeah, I, I, I'm sure you're right. I'm sure it was in the thousands. I can never really get my head around that because I just sort of think there's only 365 days in a year and they've done, I mean, that's like one a day for nearly 10 years. 
And I just sort of think it can't. They can't do it like that. But maybe they do multiple jumps. They do when they go yeah, out multiple on a jumps day. in yeah. a day because in a day you might have people coming in every hour or something. So the planes oh, go up course. multiple times yeah. in a day. Yeah, but you're right. It's a lot. But that's because she would be jumping with other people. Um, her own jumps for fun. Her training yeah. jumps. She'd have had to have done plenty, I'm sure, to be able to qualify. So yeah, it's a huge, huge amount. Yeah. Victoria helped Cilias learn how to pack parachutes at the centre that she worked at, and as this was a big passion in her life, it was something that Cilias also became knowledgeable in. It felt like the perfect life, but of course, this was not the case in reality. Before we continue with this week's case, we're going to hear from the first of our two show sponsors. This is a paid advertisement from BetterHelp. This time of year can be a lot, and it's natural to feel some sadness or anxiety at this time of year. Um, I know we talked about it a couple of weeks ago. It's just, there's so much to do and so many expectations, I think, as we approach the festive period and the end of the year and the beginning of a new year. And I think it can just be so difficult to deal with that and the change in in the seasons and just not having as much daylight as we're used to. That is such a huge part. I remember when I worked um, in Sirencester and I'd have to drive for like half an hour on my motorbike and I used to get really depressed that I'd left in the dark I'd started driving home in the dark and I just kind of felt like none of my outside of work life was bright and daylight and it's such a a true thing because it sounds really silly when you say it in black and white but at that moment it really does hit you and it you're right this time of year can be a lot But adding something new and positive to your life can counteract some of those feelings. Therapy can be that bright spot amid all of the stress and change, something to look forward to to make you feel grounded and to give you the tools to manage everything that's going on around you. I, um, I'd gone about six weeks uh, without seeing my therapist recently. I saw her last week and, um, for me, I everything was okay and, you know, everything's okay in my life at the moment, but it gave me the opportunity to talk about some things out loud that I'd, I couldn't believe that I'd not said some of these things out loud, just some things that had been going on over the past couple of months. And what she was able to do for me was help me put things in perspective and almost into different boxes that I could revisit at certain times if I needed to, but also to have that perspective. And I was able to leave that session thinking, actually... I'm in a bit more control of my life than I felt. It wasn't necessarily spiralling, but I just felt I've kind of, yeah, I've got this. I love that, like in control. That's such a powerful statement. And that's it. Like therapy is is really helpful for learning those positive coping skills and setting boundaries and taking that control back for you. And something that I know is really important at a busy and stressful time like Christmas is setting those boundaries, having some control so that you don't feel like everything's just rushing around you. Yeah, and I love what what you're doing this year, which is having firm boundaries in place of I'm going to kind of keep December as free as possible and we can meet up in January and do those lovely social things in what is usually a bit of a dark, miserable month. So yeah, boundaries are so important. Our listeners get 10% off their first month at betterhelp.com slash red. That's better, H-E-L-P dot com slash red, R-E-D. Victoria felt as though she had found the perfect man to be her future husband. After past relationships with men who had not treated her kindly, who had been more focused on their jobs, who had been unfaithful, Victoria was pleased to have found Cilia's. 
but the honeymoon period of their relationship did not last long. After the way he treated her when they were engaged and she suffered the miscarriage of their first baby was really cold and cruel, Cilius returned to his caring ways and wanted Victoria home with him more. She began to wonder maybe he had had a delayed reaction to their loss. They then continued with their wedding plans and soon Victoria found she was pregnant again. And once again, Cilius really acted like the excited father she wanted her partner to be. The wedding took place, then the baby came and their relationship seemed to be flourishing. However, behind the scenes, Victoria was worrying about the financial strain that they appeared to be under as a couple. Their joint account would often be reduced to nothing, late payment bills and notices for credit would arrive by post, and loans had been taken out. Of course, Cilia's had an answer for everything, and Victoria turned a blind eye, not wanting to upset her husband, not wanting to cause an argument. Financial abuse is now recognised as an element of coercive control, and the Domestic Abuse Act notes the role that financial abuse and control plays in exerting control over a victim. So there are three key elements to financial control and abuse. There is the part of this where the abuser prevents or limits the victim from attending work or education, perhaps refuses them access to finances, benefits or their own bank account. The second part is controlling resources, so controlling how purchasing decisions are made, making victims account for all their expenditure, controlling their access to things like phones or vehicles. And then the final element is abuse of resources, so potentially stealing money or misusing money, taking out credit and basically forcing the debt onto the other person. Financial abuse makes it incredibly difficult for the victim to escape their domestic situation. Debt in the victim's name leads to impacts on their credit files and their economic stability and a common practice is that assets are often placed in the abuser's name and then liabilities such as bills and financial products which have charges attached to them are placed in the victim's name. This then causes harm which has consequences that can last for a very long time. So in the short term that victim has the stress of paying bills and not having the adequate money to pay it, perhaps incurring interest and fees on charges, creating a spiral of debt Sometimes they may not even be aware of the debts and they have no opportunity to try and sort things out. And in the longer term, this is then going to impact on their credit score, their savings, their ability to access alternative safe accommodation. The effect on their financial position may reach many, many years into the future. I just wanted to I just want to say at this point what you know, uh, places I've worked in the past, I've worked in I worked at a bank many years ago, um, a high street bank and you and anybody that's ever worked in a high street bank or building society might say the same, that I remember we would have uh, women coming into the branch to open secret savings accounts where they would squirrel away a few pounds every single week from the meagre amount of housekeeping money that their husband gave them. And they would do this for years and it was essentially a running away fund and they were playing the long game and it would take them that long to get to a point where they could build up enough savings so they could at least leave that relationship and not be homeless and have somewhere to take the children and to kind of start a new life again. And it was just so incredibly sad that they were so desperately unhappy, but so trapped and realising that it would take years and years and they were just so patient with it and would yeah, wait years to get to the position where they could finally leave. Yeah, I I remember that and I still see it now in the job that I'm in at the moment. And, and you see people who just have no idea what any of the finances, what position they're in or where things are, because the other person is just fully in control. And it can be, it can be done in a, a helpful manner almost, that's how it's dressed up. But actually, 
It's, you know, I don't want you to be educated in this because I need you to be dependent on me and I need you to think that you won't cope without me. So therefore, I will sort all the bills, I will sort all the finances. And yeah, on the face of it, you think, oh, that's, you know, that's great. That person's taking that part of the responsibility, but that is detrimental then if somebody needs to set up on their own. And quite often it is not abusive quite often in a relationship there's one person who just deals with finances better than the other one person who is better with money but it's when that's not a mutual decision is when this is really worrying I know this is a bit of a tangent to go off on but I would really urge our listeners to go and read some of the incredibly brave interviews that have been done with ITV weather presenter Ruth Dodsworth So her husband, Jonathan, who is a former nightclub owner, was jailed for three years in April 2021 after pleading guilty to stalking and coercive control, but he only served 18 months. Um, He had, they, there was like a restraining order taken out against him, so he can't contact Ruth, his wife, his ex-wife, but Ruth no longer owns savings or a home. Her credit rating has plummeted since her ex-husband took out credit cards and loans in her name. The only asset that Ruth still has control over is her pension. But she's claimed that Jonathan is still trying to gain half of that. And she's really questioned how it's possible that she has a university degree, but no bank account of her own. And this is somebody that I think people might look at on the telly and just think she's got it all. She's on the TV. She's a weather presenter. She looks really put together. She's really articulate. I've seen I've seen her be interviewed about this. Um, yeah, really articulate. You know, if you've got a stereotype of a strong woman, it is her. And yet she fell victim to this. So it just shows that anybody can fall victim to this. Yeah, it can happen to anybody. And she, she said in an interview with The Observer, he took every penny of my salary. If I asked for money for lunch at work, he would give me exactly £3 for a Tesco meal deal. Work colleagues asked me for lunch and I'd have to make excuses. So the isolation increased. I never saw mail or bills. And Jonathan had subjected Ruth to a nine-year campaign of controlling abuse before he pled guilty to coercive behaviour and stalking. And like I said, that also resulted in him, him being handed a lifetime restraining order. But Ruth said at the time she was completely unaware that economic abuse was a factor of coercive control, let alone that the consequences would impact the rest of her life. It's almost like you just... There needs to be a law or... I don't know, just some sort of government body or something that helps, and it is usually women in this situation, so women but men too, that helps victims of financial abuse to regain their credit score and to have a fully functioning bank account, not just a basic bank account that you can get if you have been made bankrupt, for example, because it just isn't their fault and there must be a way of them proving that. So, yeah, that just, it's really frustrating to hear someone like Ruth is struggling to have a proper bank account or own a home or have any credit if she needs credit available to her because of something that was totally out of her control, an illegal act that was carried out on her. And yet it continues to have ramifications in her day-to-day life. It's just not fair. I completely agree. I think to have the fact that this person has been charged in a court surely that holds some sort of gravity and you could then go to your mortgage provider or something and say this home now needs to be signed over to this person's name yeah no questions asked or or this kind of this black mark on this person's credit file needs to be removed and amended yeah yeah or their credit rating 
yeah, needs to be improved. So, yeah, it's it just doesn't. It, it's so unfair, and I know that there's many victims of many crimes that uh, it has implications for the rest of their lives. So I'm not, you know, I, I know that there are bigger fish to fry, so to speak. But we're talking about this now, and I just can't believe that there's not something in place to help these people recover their financial position. It's really, really hard, isn't it? And Ruth's case is one of the experiences that's featured in the report seen yet sidelined by the charity Surviving Economic Abuse. I'd really urge our listeners to go and have a look at that, read or watch some of the interviews with Ruth. And yeah, I just found it heartbreaking and fascinating recently to learn more about about this. We we could potentially uh, do a whole episode on, on what happened to Ruth because... Yeah, it's, yeah, I've um, really, really limited it and summed it up in a very yeah. short couple of paragraphs. There's so much. And again, another very brave woman who has started talking about this and really using the awful things that happened to her to to come out and talk about this and to really support other people, which we so often see, don't we, with somebody who's been the victim of domestic violence or abuse and... um. Alex, who we talked about when when you say, you know, it's not just women, it's not, because we t- talked about Alex's case a few episodes, you know, maybe 10 episodes back. It's men as well, people who then go on and work in charities who do loads of amazing good work to ensure that other people can get out of those situations as well. Yeah, Ruth didn't have to talk about this. She would have had a right to protect her anonymity in all of this. And she has spoken out so well. And yeah, I'd I'd love to cover her case because I think it would further raise awareness of the sorts of tactics that these abusers deploy because it's so underhand, it's so subtle. And then by the time it's built up, it's it's almost too late, isn't it? The damage is done. And that's when sometimes the victim finally realises. Yeah, we were talking about this at work and we were saying how on the surface, those initial conversations of you're not very good with money why do you need this again? Why are you buying that? Can just be genuinely some a partner who is worried because their partner is bad with money and they want to encourage them to make sensible decisions. You know, I'll take the, you know, we'll have joint accounts, all our money goes in so we can make sure the bills are paid isn't necessarily a bad thing. That's actually quite sensible. But it's when you're being belittled and when you're made to feel like you have no right to that money there is something seriously, seriously wrong there. And with Cilia's, this was one of the major issues that the couple were facing. When they attempted to remortgage, their credit ratings were so poor they were unable to. And Cilia's encouraged Victoria to borrow money from family to pay for a new house, refused any suggestions that she made that would save them money. Instead, they decided to have another child and he continued to get them further and further into debt. He borrowed money from colleagues, payday loan companies and consistently rinsed the family bank accounts. For Victoria, the mess that Sidious was getting them into financially was not the only problem. Let's pause here for our second show sponsor, Shopify. I feel like I'm missing out because it seems like everyone is either starting a side hustle or becoming their own boss right now, doesn't it? And you know what they're hearing a lot? That is the sound of another sale on Shopify, the all-in-one commerce platform to start, run and grow your business. Shopify is the commerce platform revolutionising millions of businesses worldwide. Whether you're selling books, handmade candles, pre-loved clothing or personalised Christmas decorations, Shopify simplifies selling online and in person so you can successfully grow your business. 
covering all sales channels from a shop front ready point of sale system to its all-in-one e-commerce platform. Shopify even gets you selling across social media marketplaces like Facebook, Instagram, and of course, TikTok. Full of the industry-leading tools to ready to ignite your growth, Shopify gives you complete control over your business and your brand without learning new skills in design or coding. And thanks to 24-7 help with an extensive business course library, Shopify is ready to support your success every step of the way. What's great about Shopify is that no matter how big you want to grow, Shopify will be there to empower you with the confidence and control to take your business to the next level. It is time to get serious about selling and get Shopify today. This is Possibility, powered by Shopify. Sign up for a £1 per month trial period at shopify.co.uk slash seeingred. That's all lowercase. Go to shopify.co.uk slash seeingred to take your business to the next level today. Shopify.co.uk slash seeingred. So I alluded to the other issues facing Victoria's marriage and family life. She didn't know that her husband was not this reassuring better man following her ex-husband's infidelity. No, he was also cheating on her. While she was pregnant and as they had their daughter and a few few years later their son, Cilias was sleeping with other women. And yes, multiple women. I don't know if you're going to mention this and obviously I love all these salacious details of course I do and I'm sorry but I can't really apologize for it actually. do you know what he deserves us judging him yeah so he's a twat and uh, you know again like people will maybe call me out for judging this but this you know he was in a committed marriage and a family guy and wasn't he going to he was going to he was like an absolute fucking sex fiend wasn't he because he was oh, going yeah. to wife swapping places not with victoria no nope. he was going to swingers parties it was just like utter fucking filth non-stop he even said in court i'm just i'm just really love sex i'm just a really sexual man i just i'm insatiable oh my god is that what he said go go a few paragraphs down and we'll, we will get fucking to that hell. yeah i can't remember the exact Christ. phrasing he used but definitely we are going to be talking about that as well brilliant so first off He was sleeping with Carly, his ex-wife and the mother of his children. Carly, who he encouraged Victoria to spend time with, that they shared childcare with. So that's lovely. Um, I always really disliked Carly when we first read Victoria's book. And she's not that Mm. scathing of her. She's quite, like, kind of, she doesn't say too much. But Carly knew what she was doing too. She knew that. But then who knows what Cilias is telling Carly. We're in a loveless marriage. It's a marriage on paper. He's probably telling her the same stuff that he told Victoria about Carly. Yeah, and he's probably saying, I'm going to leave my wife and we'll get back together. We were always meant to be. Yeah. And also he was probably controlling her then as much as he was when they were together. So I I don't judge her at all. Um, Yeah, I mean, it's terrible, really, that she's spending time with Victoria and also fucking Victoria's husband and not telling Victoria that. But I, I don't blame Carly for that. I blame Emile for that. Oh, yeah, he's completely the one in the wrong here. But I just always feel a bit like... It just, yeah, it always gets to me that Carly was doing that and then still I th- I think, playing happy families. I, I get it. I totally understand that. But I also think this is the difference between a man's view and a woman's view. And I think mm-hmm. that's why it's so great that we are able to bring both viewpoints to uh, to the show, even though Bethan called me a bitch earlier uh, before we hit record, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> which is probably true. Um, I did. <laughs> yeah. Cilia's also had a girlfriend called Stephanie who was an Australian skydiving instructor he'd met on Tinder whilst abroad on an army skiing trip. 
He also lied to Stephanie. So he said that, yes, he did have a pregnant wife, but he told her that the baby was someone else's. And after the baby was born, he even claimed to have this proven by a DNA test once the baby was born. And that's obviously not true at all. Um, He was texting Stephanie whilst Victoria was in labour. He really has no scruples, this guy. And I'm losing track of the amount of women and kids he's got. How must he have felt? This must have been like a full-time job for him to manage. And do you know what? That's the really interesting thing, is that the prosecution and the police have said he was that cold that he could be having a business conversation in one breath, talking to Victoria, his wife, in the next breath, and pretending to be a good husband, talking to Carly and pretending that he's in a whatever with her, talking to Stephanie, whatever their relationship is at that point, And he could keep it all completely separate. He could compartmentalise all of this. And he never slipped up. Well, not never slipped up because there was, I remember something in the book where they were at a party or a family event or something and his phone had been left on a table and someone went, oh, someone's got a match on Tinder or something like that. that. And he he didn't realise that was the first bit of the thing. And they said, whose phone's this? And he just heard that, looked over and was like, oh, that's my phone. And everyone then looked at Victoria like, oh. At and least turn turn your notifications yeah. off for me all. So obviously it's not that he's never got caught out, but he never accidentally texted Stephanie what he was texting to yeah. Victoria or anything like that. Yeah, which is pretty impressive to be fair. However, then that is fucking stupid to be on Tinder and to have the notifications on. So that's going to pop up on his phone. And Victoria could have seen that, let alone a stranger at a party who then says, oh, someone's got a match on Tinder. So he is a clever guy, but he's also, we see that all the time, he's also really stupid at the same time. Yeah. He told Victoria that he had to live on the barracks for work and then brazenly brought Stephanie to stay with him at his room in the army barracks. They would eat breakfast together at the mess with Cilia's fellow soldiers and all of them assumed he and Victoria weren't together anymore. He didn't have any photos of his children at the mess. He only had uh, photos of him and Stephanie. No pictures of his children, no pictures of Victoria. She was not in the picture as work were concerned. And as you said before, Mark, he was also a member of a website called Fab Swingers, where he would hook up with partners for casual sex. He searched regularly and used sex workers using a site called Adult Work. He made internet searches for sex and fetish clubs in the local area. And then whenever he'd go away, he'd search for them in that area. And he was a member of a local swingers club as well. Yeah, I mean, this this wasn't just a guy that was occasionally exploring swinging and all of that it was any opportunity he had through multiple multiple different ways of doing that so like fab swingers adult work fetish clubs sex clubs just any opportunity he got he was doing it wasn't he probably dogging everything just any time that he could get laid he would and he'd even get laid and then go online to look at a sex website or to search for a sex worker he Mm. It was never enough. He literally, the phrase that I was trying to remember that he used when he spoke at trial was, I am a very sexual man. Like that's some kind of valid excuse for that behaviour. I'm sorry, it doesn't Plenty really work of like that. people who are, and at least if you're going to, be in an open relationship, yeah, find someone course, who yeah. wants that lifestyle, yeah. and that's absolutely fine then. Find a wife you can take out dogging with you, you know, and swing in and stuff. But Victoria well, yeah. was not into that. So no, and that's what it's makes really this unfair. so wrong. Also, 
also it's really unfair the risk that he was putting her in because I don't know if he was always using protection and I'm sure there was something in the book about an STI I don't know I might have misremembered that but either way you know it's a risk I don't recall that that, yeah but that is going to be a risk yeah so you know hopefully he never passed anything on so for Emile Silliers, life was just too messy. Victoria wasn't willing to just break up their marriage. And she says in her book about how Silliers had driven her to a point where she didn't even recognise herself. She said, the woman I used to be would have stuck up for herself, would have got out of a relationship that was so clearly toxic. The woman I was now had no confidence that she could look after herself, let alone her children. His constant lying and the fact that I had never dealt with it made me feel weak and his infidelity made me feel totally worthless. That's sad because that feeling of a partner cheating and, and knowing that and it uh, it would, yeah, you're just going to feel like a piece of shit that you don't deserve to be in a committed relationship and to have 100% of that person's attention. Yeah, it does. It does really make that does totally make me feel for her. It is, and I I think I said at the beginning, but I always feel like Victoria's book is such an open and honest insight into someone who is being abused by a partner, how they get to the point where they can't leave. Yeah, you you absolutely go on a journey with her, and it's it's that classic journey of that honeymoon period, everything's brilliant, then, you know, all these subtle ways that he was establishing control in that relationship, and then her slowly, and it's, you, I'm sure you'll come on to it, but you know, it took a long time for her to really accept that he was a bad man, ultimately. Mm. It took a very long time. So, yeah, I won't spoil any more. And so often people say of a situation, well, why didn't they just leave them? I know we've talked about this before on the show, how it isn't that easy. In her book, Victoria says, I was desperately trying to protect myself and my child from Celia's impulsive and irresponsible behaviour. But even that didn't feel right. I shouldn't have to live like this, I seized. I should be able to trust my husband. I knew that our marriage couldn't continue like this, but I was scared at that point to face bringing up and financially supporting a baby and a toddler. And I knew that if I ended the relationship, any support, physical and financial, that I was getting at times would end. She explained how Celia's became more and more brazen with his behaviour, but explains how he would tell her that she had issues. Anytime she was suspicious about infidelity, he blamed that on her first marriage. And she said in her book... Does he really have such little respect for me? I wondered. That he feels that he can treat me like this. He wasn't even trying to be subtle now. And it felt like the more trapped I became, especially with the pregnancy, the worse he behaved with me. As Cilia's grew more distant, Victoria clung on to their marriage. She would send texts and emails to her husband when he was away from home, saying that she loved and missed him, telling him she was worried that he had fallen out of love with her, telling him that she was worried he was seeing someone else. And he continued to treat her like dirt. She felt she just couldn't leave because she had to think about how she would support their toddler and the newborn baby. But what was next to come was even worse. Cilius decided that he needed to get rid of one of the messy elements of his life. And how was he going to do that? Well, he decided to kill Victoria. He was really worried that if they split up, Victoria could damage his career with accusations. He wanted to be rid of her so he was free to be with Stephanie. And he didn't care who might be injured or killed, as long as Victoria was gone. So he set the scene. He opened the gas valve in the kitchen of the family home before leaving, saying he had to go and stay at his barracks. Instead, he headed to Carly's house. And after sleeping with her, he sent dirty text messages to Stephanie. Then he went on adult websites. 
And all the while, his wife, their toddler and their newborn baby were asleep in a house that was filling with gas. Thankfully, when Victoria woke up the next morning, she smelt gas. She turned off the lever attached to the pipe and noticed what looked like dried blood along the pipe and texted her husband and he horrifically replied, That is weird. Is the stove working? Oh, I don't remember that. Mm-hmm. Oh of my god. Course. So in, in other words, like yeah, turn the stove on. Light Cause a flame. An Let's see. Yeah. yeah. And of course, Victoria said she wasn't going to do that. That would blow the house up. She opened all of the windows and doors, but the smell just wouldn't go away. And when she tried to turn the tap back on, it was clear there was a leak because it would just start smelling really strong again. She called a gas man who arrived that evening and he told her that it looked like one of the bolts had come loose. The potential disaster was averted. And like I said before, there was blood on that pipe and the valve. And knowing that Cilias had cut his hand his hand earlier that weekend victoria jokingly texted him saying was he trying to kill her and of course he told her not to be so stupid he kind of really she meant it as a joke and he went way too he was like don't how dare you say something like that of course there was total fact behind that do you think she did mean it as a joke though or do you think there was i don't know even just one percent of her ten percent of her that was thinking putting two two and two together and actually thinking maybe there is some truth in this maybe he was I don't think so at the time because even after he was convicted she still couldn't quite grasp that he had tried to kill her and for like you said and for a very long time and how honest she is in her book I feel like she would have made that clear you know I I was only joking but there was a little bit of me that had a bit of a suspicion um, I'm sure it was something that he he kind of said, you're always saying stupid things like that. Why would I be trying to kill you? And she was like, I've never said that before. Hang on, I must have done. And the way he'd made her feel unsure of everything, she couldn't. She didn't remember ever making that joke before, but he was like, you always say this. And I mean, can thinking, you imagine well, that though? If, if she did and he's throwing that back in her face, oh, you always say I'm trying to kill you. I'd be like, oh, fuck, do I? Okay, well, yeah. maybe there's, you know, a reason for that then. That's well, not a normal thing for a wife to be saying. No, I genuinely don't think I've ever said that to my husband. You know, no, even I don't as a think joke, I don't think I've been in a scenario where I've thought that. But And if you do, if you are saying that out loud or thinking it, then they probably are trying to kill you. I wouldn't go that far, Mark. I mean, some people have a dark sense of humour and they might just make that joke. <laughs> I don't think well, I don't, it necessarily means they're trying to kill you. If it's based in any kind of the fact that yeah. someone is saying I you mean, always say that, there's got to be a reason why. Yeah, yeah. I don't know. And also, if if you tell someone that your house is full of gas and they tell you to turn on a gas, uh, turn on like a, a naked flame in some way, shape or form, if their first response isn't open all your doors and windows and get out, yeah, you should get be worried. Get out. Yeah. Yeah. It's, um, sometimes I really lack common sense and that is the sort of thing I someone would say, I'll do this and I'd just turn it on and it would have mm. blown up. Yeah. However... I seem to remember when this case first came out, there was something in the trial where there there was like a real discussion around whether or not he his his charge should be with an explosive or by causing an explosion. Because apparently it's very hard to just light gas in the air from turning on a flame. It's it's obviously a danger and it could happen, which is why it's really, really strongly advised against. And if you smell gas, you you just shouldn't. But it's not like in a movie where, mm. oh, there's a flame and there's some gas and it will just immediately explode. And so it was a very interesting one of like, 
do you, does it mean it would actually cause an explosion or not? Mm. And so, but please just don't, Mark. If yeah, you ever smell no, gas, I won't. remove I won't. yourself from the situation and call. There's like a number you can call. If you Google, I can smell gas. <laughs> I'm all just, electric here, don't worry. Oh, that's all right then, you're fine. Unbeknownst to Cilia's, Victoria, knowing that her husband was awful with money, had actually changed her will in December 2014. So she made sure that if something happened to her, her two children would inherit her home and her assets. Cilia's had been careful to invest in Victoria's life insurance. He'd added her to his own army policy. He made sure that she had the maximum possible cover. But he assumed he would get everything else as her husband. He didn't know that this would be all he was in line to receive in the event of her death. And this wasn't because she felt like he was trying to kill her. She said in her book and in interviews that it's it was more because she just knew that childbirth had risks. She knew that life had risks and she just didn't trust him to not ruin everything for their children. And I always found that so, so sad that she couldn't get away from him for herself, but she did have enough kind of thought to then protect the kids and the house they had was in her name when they bought it with money from her family so it was valid that he just wouldn't get a penny but he obviously he just didn't know this so the whole time he thought well I can kill her I'll get all of the money and all of the assets and she's out of the way I'm surprised he hadn't tried to manipulate her or maybe he had attempted to put in the house in in joint names at some point of we must have it in joint names, even though it's kind of your house and your family have invested in it, but you're you're not committed to me unless we have it in joint names. I bet he tried it on, didn't he? I don't know, because I don't think he ever wanted any debt against him. I think this is one of the key things, is he never wanted any of this debt to be brought back to him. He could take all the money from joint accounts. He could take all the money that he got from loans that he took out in her name He had all this cash available to him and he made purchases and stuff, but he never wanted any of that debt to be assigned to him. And he knew that they, that was family they were paying back. I genuinely don't think he would have done. I think she might have thought, oh, that's really interesting. He's, he's being nice about this. He doesn't want to try and take it from me. But actually, I think it was more calculating. If he doesn't have a stake in the home, then... There's no risk for him. Yeah. Yeah. But he would have assumed it would go to him. Because yeah, he was of married course, to her? Yeah. But also I'm kind of just to see we don't know how much equity was in that house or whether it had gone down in value since she'd bought it. So it's not always a brilliant asset to own a chunk of, is it? Because it can just be owning a chunk of debt or yeah, negative equity. Been. Yeah. With his plot to kill his wife by tampering the gas tap foiled, Cilias needed a new plan. And he put this into action immediately. Cilias became more attentive, back to being the husband who Victoria had fallen in love with, and he said he'd planned a treat for her, a parachute jump, her first in over a year. At first he said they could jump together, and she was really, really excited for this. But last minute he said he couldn't get a babysitter, so they just planned for Victoria to go up alone. So this was five days after he'd tried to kill her with a gas tap. On Easter weekend, on Saturday the 4th of April 2015, Cilly has brought Victoria along to do a jump and their now three-year-old daughter and their newborn son and he brought them along to watch. So as I mentioned before, Victoria was an accelerated freefall instructor with 2,654 jumps to her name. So more than a couple of thousand, that's like over two and a half thousand that I said before. 
She was trained to deal with out-of-control, inexperienced jumpers. She was able to chase them around the sky during freefall, to catch them, get them into the right position mid-air. So she's not just jumping herself. She was an instructor. She knew exactly what she was doing. This was a real passion of hers, and it felt like a really nice treat from her husband. Cilia's offered to collect a parachute from the kit store, and then he disappeared into the toilet with it, claiming later that he only did so because his daughter needed the loo and he didn't want to leave Vicky's rig unattended. There'd been some issues with not using her own parachute because it was a bit out of date or something like that, so they were borrowing from the, from the company. She'd worked there for however long. It wasn't a weird thing that she was going to borrow it. And obviously, considering Cilia's had previously worked sorting and prepping kits, that wasn't totally unexpected. He was just checking her kit for her like he would do at work however the going into the toilets with it very very weird and apparently everyone leaves their kit out in the hangar because it's really massive and if you're going into the toilets in a small cubicle with a three-year-old girl to try and help her go to the loo you probably don't want a massive thing on your back at the same time yeah or even off your back and you're just in a small toilet cubicle this is like a massive backpack isn't it so it's just with a three-year-old that and him it's going to be very cramped and impractical. Yeah. It was decided that the weather was too bad for anyone to jump on that Saturday, so the jump was called off. Cilias didn't return the rig to the kit store like everyone else. He stashed it in Victoria's locker. This was, again, weird, but Victoria didn't want to cause a rift or an argument, especially when they'd been getting on so well. And really, what was the harm? She was due to come back tomorrow. The company knew her. She worked there. It's not like she was just some random person who'd stolen something. So she just didn't really say anything, didn't didn't push the argument. Cecilia's was at home with the children when the rescheduled jump was planned for the following day. He didn't bring them to watch. The weather was still poor on Easter Sunday. And by the afternoon, Vicky and the 11 others who were due to jump with her were getting quite restless. So at 4pm, the group decided to do what they call a hop and pop, which is a low altitude jump. So rather than doing the full jump that they were supposed to do and going up really high, the weather just kind of meant that they would open their parachutes within seconds of getting out of the plane at 4,000 feet. The cloud cover was kind of too low to go any higher. So that's why they decided to do that. And Victoria was really excited to be back in the sky. She fist bumped the others outside the plane Um, She was fist bumping them inside the plane. She had a big smile. She was the last of the 12 of them to make this jump. So the other 11 had gone out and she's ready to go. However, as Victoria Cilias leapt from one of the Cessnas, she knew something was wrong. She had stepped out of the aircraft, fell kind of free fall for about three seconds, and then she pulled the cord. Her parachute didn't open properly and she began to fall the 4,000 feet to the ground at 60 miles an hour. Immediately, she knew there was something wrong. Obviously, she's trained. She knows what to do in in an emergency. And she later said, it didn't feel right. The lines were twisted and I was spinning. So she cut away the main chute and deployed the reserve. But this also didn't work. And that was the last thing that she remembered. Airfield ground staff watched in horror as Victoria spiralled to the ground, described by them as a rag doll being flung about. They were so certain that she had died that they took a body bag to collect her when they went to where she'd fallen. But incredibly, Victoria had survived. Described by experts as a miracle, her survival was put down to her small size and the fact that she landed on a soft, recently ploughed field. However, she'd survived, but she had suffered a broken spine, 
a smashed pelvis, fractured ribs and numerous internal injuries. It was an absolutely horrific accident. It was unusual for a main parachute to fail and almost unheard of that the reserve could do so also. Experts even later told the court at the trial that no equipment anywhere in the world had ever failed in this particular specific way. The parachute the British Parachute Association inspected the chutes and concluded that they had been deliberately sabotaged. Cilias had knotted Victoria's main canopy, removed vital parts of the reserve, so the soft links or slinks that connected the harness to the parachute, those were absent. The investigation was passed to the police. It was Emile Cilias' infidelity that ultimately unravelled the case against him. So after the parachute jump, 41-year-old Victoria was in intensive care. Separated from her children and in indescribable pain, Victoria was even more heartbroken when her husband turned up her bedside, but rather than offer his support or sympathy, continued to message Stephanie, continued to be distant towards his wife. He even prioritised critical injury insurance forms that had to be signed by a doctor, And Victoria later told the police he was there counting up my fractures. You get a thousand pounds for each break and he was there totting them up. I can't, I I didn't remember that. And obviously that, that must be in a book, but uh, just, I can, I can picture the scene of Victoria completely incapacitated and him just there with pen and paper, you know, marking along her body. That's broken, that's broken, brilliant. Rubbing his hands with glee. That's another thousand, that's another thousand. Ding, ding, ding. Just appalling behaviour. Disgusting, yeah. Absolutely disgusting. Phone and computer records were seized and the police uncovered the text sent by Cilias to his girlfriend Stephanie where he told her that he wanted to marry her, that they were planning holidays together. The police could see that they'd browse the internet for houses. He had promised her the world. And the police also uncovered details of his debt, the mess he was in financially. They realised that he believed that getting rid of Victoria would solve both of those problems. Victoria fought so hard to get out of her hospital bed. She worked really hard at her physiotherapy and I I can't remember properly, but obviously she was a physio. She knew how important it was to do this. And I remember that part of the book being really emotional because she just kind of said like every day it was agony, but I was working towards getting back to my children who she just couldn't feed or anything she had to just she couldn't see her children because it would have been too awful for them to be seeing their mum in this sort of state yeah just horrible and heartbreaking people really have used the word miracle in describing lots of elements of this so the fact that she fell out of the plane and didn't die you know when she hit the ground and then the fact that she was able to achieve such a superb recovery I think you're right I think the fact that she was a physiotherapist must have really enabled her to understand her body and work with it through that recovery and the fact that yeah she's got two very young children at home that are dependent on her really and she needs to get better for them so it was just you know it's unbelievable the courage that she showed in recovering it's just unbelievable the pain that she would have been in the mental anguish the ptsd that maybe she was enduring as a result of knowing that she had fallen out of plane and you know landed four thousand feet later and that she was you know broken and battered and that she gotta achieve a fight for survival it's just unbelievable yeah she she really did push so hard the physiotherapy that she pushed for 
um, and that she did was quicker and sooner than they wanted her to do but she was like nope I am doing this and I'm getting out and eventually she went home on the 22nd of April which is just not that long afterwards when you think about the absolutely horrific litany yeah she did have to wear a back brace for a really long time though due to the severity of her injuries and really she went home and I, again, I can't remember properly from the book, but I'm sure there was an element where she couldn't actually use the stairs properly. She'd be able to use her crutches and get to the top, but it was that last step that she couldn't do or or the bottom step or something. She really shouldn't have been home yet, but she needed to for herself and for her children. She didn't want Emile Cilias to be the one looking after them and her to just be more and more away from them and, and taken away from them. Yeah, and don't don't be under the false pretense that just because she was released from hospital two and a half weeks after this horrific accident that she was okay because she was still very much incapacitated at home, would have been in huge amounts of pain, lots of follow-up hospital appointments. And Cilia's was just not helping her at all. He'd not do at like all. the bare minimum to help her. Um I remember the the bit where he would like say to her, Well just I'll, you sit up and I'll just pass the baby to you when he wakes up in the night and then he'd like dump their little baby onto her but she's in a back brace she can't really do anything so she had to stand up and then he would just snatch the baby back off and go well you may as well go back to sleep there's no point in you being up and really belittling her for not being able to lay there and cuddle their baby and it's I, like, I, well, I seem to what? yeah <laughs> like she's fucking broken her back and like very nearly died this you know this happened over easter and her, it is like the fucking resurrection because she practically died and has recovered from this you know or survived this certainly and is going going to go on to recover fully but I, i'm sure that this was in the book that i'm sure she said that he was almost angry with her and it was an anger that she didn't realise at the time, born from the fact that yes. she had survived this accident. Yeah. And he he couldn't help but be angry that his plan had not worked and that she had survived. And he was angry with her um, that she yeah. survived. So not only was she in loads of physical pain, but she's probably, yeah, also thinking, why is this guy being an absolute fucking twat to me as well? He should be, out of all the difficult times we've had in this relationship where he's not treated me that well surely now's the time that he should be nice to me and he wasn't yeah and he just got more and more distant um their relationship was just as you know worse than it had been for for the time after this and that is saying something yeah and then it's not even just mentally and financially that she can't get away from him physically also she's at home with a toddler and a newborn in a back brace, in what you just can't describe the pain that she must have been in, with no real support, and still being made to feel like she's useless and worthless, and yeah, really heartbreaking. Have, have you seen the film Misery? Yeah. Yeah, it's and kind the book of as I well, mean, it's amazing, yeah. Yeah, it, it's kind of um, has a similar vibe to that, although there's different motivations. Just here, a little, yeah. But, but yeah, that, that mm. element of her being incapacitated is probably making his life, well, easy and hard, but easy that he can yeah. go and She's see his fancy women. She's not going to follow him on anything, is she? Yeah. No, and she is dependent on him and he kind of wants that. But I got the impression at this point that he, he very much was just gutted that he couldn't get out of the relationship because this had all gone wrong and backfired spectacularly on him at this point. And Victoria didn't realise that the police were investigating her husband 
though he was interviewed in April, so just after the incident, and also in September 2015. So she was really shocked in September 2016 when the police arrived and told her that her husband was under arrest for her attempted murder and then they told her everything that they had uncovered about his lies and there were, I, I keep referring to this book and I think everybody should read it. If you didn't read it already, um, there's an incredibly emotional scene. She's, she's there in her back brace still with a messy house because her children are children and she can't do as much to clean up and tidy up and the police come round and then she's just like this broken woman where she's just screams like he's done this to her. And she almost is like embarrassed that actually it was true. All of her suspicions of the cheating and everything are true. And it's so heartbreaking because it's the embarrassment of people knowing. And it's like, no, you shouldn't be embarrassed. You shouldn't be ashamed of yourself. He's the one who should be embarrassed and ashamed. And then in the police interviews, you can see he's just cocky there's video recordings of it and he turns up in a t-shirt and flip-flops there's no respect for her there's no gravity to this situation he genuinely sits there and goes I didn't do it no it wasn't me yeah I had affairs but it's not illegal and he just doesn't care and I, I even seem to recall that he was sat in a sort of almost sexually provocative way, you know, slouch back with his legs open. And oh, I don't remember that. Yeah, I, I might oh. be wrong. That might just have been something that I've concocted in my head, but I'm sure he was. You wouldn't but, put it past yeah, him. But yeah, either way, you know, he was really arrogant in those interviews and just cocky. Um, the book is Victoria Cilia's I Survived. And yeah, we'd both recommend that. Yeah, incredible. Victoria put two and two together and realised that the gas valve tampering had indeed also been an attempt on her life. It wasn't the joke that she'd made when she messaged Cilia's. He had really tried to kill her and he, she told the police about that and realised that it was literally six days later that she had had that fall. Her husband had tried again and tampered with her parachute less than a week later. Testing proved that the blood found on the lever was Cilia's blood. So they were able to prove that when he'd cut his hand that week, and I mean, he'd cut his hand really badly, there was blood everywhere that Victoria had had to clean up. Um, he must have still had an open wound and using that lever would have either he'd had a bloody hand anyway, or it opened the wound a little. And they were able to find blood in the creases of the pipe or something along those lines in, in a bit that wouldn't have just been placed there. It was how you'd hold, held the, that handle and moved it. So finally, Emile Cilias was brought to trial and he was charged with attempted murder. The first trial was halted partway through due to issues with the jury. So Victoria had to go through the horror of a trial where she had to sit and listen to what her husband had done to her twice. She also had to go through questioning herself, give evidence, and the court heard all about Cilias' infidelity and his debt. And Cilias proved what an absolute dickhead he was when he was questioned, saying the messages to Stephanie about leaving Victoria for her were all lies. He'd even told Stephanie that he would be free in April. But he told the court, of course, this was just simply a coincidence. He maintained that he had not tampered with Victoria's parachute. He had not wanted her dead. Finally, on the 15th of June 2018, after being found guilty by the jury at the second trial of three counts, Emile Cilias was sentenced. And the three offences he was found guilty of were the attempted murder of Victoria with the gas valve tampering, criminal damage during this attempt which in resulted in the endangerment of his children's lives and finally that second attempt at killing Victoria of course he was found guilty clearly he did this um 
but it, it's just really sad that there had to be that second trial again. So Victoria had gone through pretty much all of it. She'd had, had to sit there and listen to things. She'd seen newspaper articles talking about her and... And, their and sex then she had to life. do it again. Yeah. And I, I remember, I mean, don't forget, she's still quite incapacitated at this point because I remember seeing pictures on the news and in the papers of her turning up to court to give evidence and to be cross-examined, turning up in a wheelchair. And I'm sure, like, you know, when you've got your legs sort of stretched out in front of you in a wheelchair, um, maybe because it's in plaster or whatever. So, yeah, she was still, she would have been in severe pain, I'm sure, throughout this process. So it's mental and physical agony at that point for her. Yeah, and hopefully it's the last time we kind of say, go and read the book. But in the book, you really do see that, Yes, he was found guilty at this point, and that's great. And that's, you know, we cover the cases on this show and that sort of thing. But I really, really appreciated her openness and honesty in her book, where she talked about actually she needed to still deal with those mental scars years later. And she went and did another parachute jump. And the, the end of the book is this really freeing becoming free and becoming free from Emil and their marriage and it's not the end of their story it's this this isn't the end of their story within her book and, and for her obviously for us with with the case we kind of cover the case um but yeah really do recommend that you go li- read that or listen to it because it might be on audiobook I don't know so this the judge's sentencing remarks were absolutely scathing told Cilias that he was a dangerous offender. He referred to the fact that the attempts to kill his wife were planned, carried out in cold blood. He really reiterated the physical and emotional scars that the attacks had left on Victoria. Emil Cilias was sentenced to life imprisonment with a minimum term of 18 years for the two attempts on Victoria's life and a concurrent sentence of 14 years in prison for endangering his children's lives. So there we go. This case has always fascinated both of us. And yeah, I I 100% agree with you. Victoria is such a survivor in this this whole story. Yeah, I found I found myself thinking about it over the years because uh, obviously, yeah, I remember it from when it first happened in 2015, and then we read her book for book club, and yeah, even since then, yeah, definitely. That I, I know it does sound like you know this episode is sponsored by her book. It absolutely isn't. But if you're interested in in really knowing more it's it was just a brilliant read and it did really really well so you know i think it gets four and a half out of five on amazon from three and a half thousand reviews so it's um it is a brilliant and fascinating read and really does give you a clear picture of of all the different types of coercive control at play here um and yeah I'd, i'd be interested to see what people think about victoria once i've read the book because yeah, it's, you know, just because somebody has been through an horrific ordeal doesn't mean that they have to be likeable. And I, I don't know why I just struggled to warm to her. I struggled to warm to her. But that doesn't really matter. She didn't really give a fuck what I think. But it she was just interesting. She care what you think. <laughs> I think the the one thing we can all agree on, Emil Cilias, is definitely not someone that you would ever have any sympathy for understand what absolutely horrible horrible guy yeah well thank you for listening everybody and uh don't forget to check out the show sponsors that's better help and shopify and also if you're able to support us on patreon then head over to patreon.com slash seeing red podcast 
and we'll see you next week for another episode see you then guys bye bye